fortunate little group here tonight. That's just fine. On behalf of the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education, I'd like to welcome you to the War Memorial Opera House and the San Francisco Ballet Meet the Artist program. I'm Cheryl Osola, a writer for San Francisco Ballet and editor-in-chief of Dance Studio Life magazine. And I am pleased to have as my guest tonight San Francisco Ballet's general manager, Deborah Bernard, who is brave enough to be here even when what we could euphemistically call end-of-season craziness is going on. Please welcome her. Thank you, Cheryl. It's a pleasure to be here. I'd also like to welcome those of you who tune into these interviews via podcast. For all of you future listeners out there, today is Friday, May 8th, 2015. So these uh, podcasts can be found at our website, sfballet.org, but there's much more than that there. And a recent addition to the offerings is the 2016 repertory season, so you can read all about it. Along with that, you'll find the company's blog, Open Studio 455, dancer bios, events, adult education programs, and much more. And if you want to learn a little bit more about the Meet the Artist program, you can check out page 12 in your program books. And there's a little shortcut URL there to get you right to the podcast. So speaking of books, we have an art book this year. It's a beautiful collection of photographs of the dancers and many of the, of the staff uh, taken by our in-house photographer, Eric Thomason, and you can find it for sale in the ballet shop on the mezzanine level. So my guest, Deborah Bernard, works on the operations side of San Francisco Ballet, but everything she does, of course, has an impact on what you see on stage. Deborah's history with the company is a long and varied one. She took her first job here in 1988 as associate to the general manager for production, and she moved on to the role of, our, of artistic associate, uh, working closely with Helgi Thomason a few years later. She served as company manager of New York City Ballet before returning here as general manager. And in her previous lives, she was a dancer and choreographer, an assistant technical administrator at San Francisco Opera, a Peace Corps trainee, and she even worked in the wine industry. So Deborah, let's start with having you ground us a little bit. General manager is a very vague term. Tell us what you do. Well, for those of us who work in the industry in the arts world. General manager is a term that we're familiar with, but you're correct. For, I think, anyone else, the best analogy would be, in a corporate world, it'd be like the chief operating officer of an organization. So I'm responsible for the day-to-day -day operations of the ballet. I, um, other people in our organization fundraise and raise the money so that, or sell tickets to bring in earned revenue. The, myself and the people on my team that uh, work with me, we spend the money, but we do so prudently. So I am responsible for production, producing ballets that go on the stage, for touring logistics. I'm responsible for all union negotiations. We deal with seven unions at the ballet. 
I'm responsible for the facilities, and um, I have a team of five who report directly to me, and of course, then they have many, many people reporting to them. So that's a little bit of what I do, but I'm happy to elaborate if anyone has any specific questions. Well, now I'm gonna ask you an unfair question because I know there's no such thing as a typical day for you, but let's pretend there is. So what kinds of things would typically cross your desk in a 24-hour period? Well, hmm, that can be very varied. <laughs> um, it can be everything from contracts, so I negotiate the contracts also for designers, choreographers, repetitors, um, any ballets that Helgi wants to license. So Helgi Thomason, our artistic director, uh, it's his vision that we're all here to support and work for and put on the stage. And uh, once Helgi gives us a season, then the people that work with me, uh, we all negotiate all of the contracts for the people that come in, for the choreographers, for the Balanchine Trust, you know, anything that will then um, bring that ballet to life on that stage. The costumes, the building of scenery and costumes. Um, Helgi hires the dancers, of course, but then it's the company manager who works with me, who handles the contracts, the day-to-day -day workings of the dancers. So contracts, meetings, always meetings, um, strategic planning, future planning, for future tours, uh, future seasons, any issues that might arise on the spot that day, which can happen often. That's a pretty good answer when I put you on the spot. So if you've just come in, I'm chatting with San Francisco Ballet General Manager, Deborah Bernard. So I wanna jump back in time for just a minute um, because your entry into the dance world was actually as a performer and choreographer. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I always hesitate because I will tell you I pursued a professional dance career, but I never felt I danced at the level, of course, that these dancers do in this company. They are phenomenal. I really admire their artistry. So though I worked professionally, I. I don't speak much about that. What it did give me is an understanding of what it takes to be a dancer. Um, it's a very hard life, I would tell you. You have to really love it. You have to really want to do it and have the discipline to pursue it and the dedication to do it. Um, the same thing when you go on the road and when you're on tour. It it's, can be a real challenge. It's really exciting to be seen by other audiences and to go other places, but it's a challenge then to bring that same level of artistry, what you do at home, and do it on the road with, under maybe not ideal conditions. Well, as you say, that does certainly give you a perspective that's valuable to have in, in any role within this kind of an organization. So, you know, you're in your second role here as um, artistic associate, um, administrator, I guess. Um, you were uh, around in 1994 when Romeo and Juliet was uh, being put together. Actually, it was being put together before the 1994 season. So um, I just wondered what you could tell us about your experiences during that time. Well, this is a production that is very close to my heart as well. I did work with Helgi very closely on this production. I was his assistant at the time that he was creating this production. I was his point person uh, in relationship to working with the design team 
I was in charge of the budget for this ballet. We brought it in on budget. Um, and it is a beautiful production. It's beautifully designed. It's especially poignant for us because the scenery and costume designer, Jens Jakob Warsaw, who this was the third full length that he did with Helgi, um, he was not well and he passed away not long after this production premiered. He never got to see this production. He never was, he was too ill to travel. So we worked very closely with him, but from a distance. He's uh, from Copenhagen, Denmark. The lighting designer, Tom Skelton, was here, um, brilliant lighting designer. He also passed away that year, not long after the ballet premiered. So it was a very poignant time um, it was a ballet I know you've probably read or heard. I shouldn't say I know, but um, you may be aware that it's one, it's a role Helgi always wanted to do. He always wanted to dance Romeo. So it has a special place in his heart as well. Uh, for those of you who just came in, I'm chatting with San Francisco Ballet General Manager Deborah Bernard. So, you know, I, I see you at performances quite often, Deborah, and obviously that's important for you to be able to see the results of, of what you're doing all day um, on stage. Um, but specifically, how, how does seeing the dancers perform help you and anyone else who's working in the non-artistic realm um, do your job uh, the best it can be done? It's my inspiration. It, it really is. I, I work in this organization because I love this art form. Um, I need to do work that means something to me. And that happens to be the world of the arts. I, I'm one of the people that believes that the arts are a necessity in our lives. I don't think they're a luxury. So anything that I can do to have a hand in helping keep that alive, and especially at this level, uh, and with this quality, I find a very special mission, if you will. So when I've had a especially challenging day or a difficult time, um, to come and watch the dancers in their wonderful artistry on the stage is really inspiring to me and reminds me, ah, that's why I work here. I would imagine you don't have too much opportunity to pop into rehearsals, but, but that's... That can be almost as wonderful as, as watching a performance, actually. That's, that's correct. I, I, I haven't made it a habit to get upstairs to the fourth floor, uh, one level up from my office, to watch rehearsals. I do occasionally. Um, sometimes I almost like to be surprised rather to see then what's, what's going to come of that rehearsal. But it's also nice to see it as it's in process. Well, speaking of in process, um, one of the things that um, we've done a fair amount of in the last few years is co-productions. And we've just announced uh, the newest one, which is a co-production with the Royal Ballet in London of a full-length Frankenstein uh, to be choreographed by artistic, Royal Ballet Artistic Associate uh, Liam Scarlett. And um, so th that's the fourth one recently. The, uh, we did Capella with Pacific Northwest Ballet in 2011. Then there was um, Cinderella with Dutch National Ballet in 2013. The same year was Shostakovich Trilogy, although we didn't do it till the, till the following year. So obviously there's a benefit to doing this, which you can speak to, but I was actually more interested in, in how it works. Um, is everything equally shared? Are the decisions made mutually or does one company 
sort of dominate in that realm? Uh, you know, is it, is it always a 50-50 financial split? Or is it all over the map? In general, it's a 50-50 financial split. Um, it really makes doing big new works like full-length evenings uh, more affordable for both organizations. We definitely discuss a lot of details. Obviously, um, the choreographer, the, the, the project that is chosen has to be a mutual uh, desire and then the input on the design team. One company definitely takes the lead as the company that's going to build the scenery and costumes, um, do the contracting, um, but all of those discussions happen day to day. And I've been in constant discussions with my counterpart at the Royal Ballet since about a year ago, actually, on, on this production. So, um when you say one company takes the lead, is, and that's generally going to be whoever is going to produce it first, correct? Correct. And is that just a matter of who can fit it on the schedule first, or how is that decision made? For us, with the most recent ones uh, that you named, the four that you named, it's been the other company that's built the scenery and the costumes as well. So it's, it's actually probably been their incentive to initially start the project, and then to um, extend the invitation to us for one of many reasons. Liam Scarlett was asked, who would you want us to partner with? And he said San Francisco Ballet. So that was a wonderful uh, thing for us. Same thing for Alexei Ratmansky. Actually, I, Kevin McKenzie approached Helgi Thomason and said, would you like to go in a co-production with us on a full-length evening of Alexei Ratmansky? And Helgi, of course, said yes. Yeah, uh, Kevin McKenzie's artistic director of American Ballet Theater, which I neglected to mention, which company we partnered with on that one. Um, so I was, I was wondering, um, I remember talking to Christopher Wielden, who choreographed uh, Cinderella, um, just about what the co-production does for him in terms of of his role as choreographer, and you know, it's a. He said it's a. It's a wonderful thing, you know, working with all these dancers and getting to create on on some dancers in one company and simultaneously on others in another company. But obviously, that's also not without its challenges, shall we say? So, on on your end, what kinds of logistical stuff is going on? Well, for Cinderella, the example you gave. Christopher Wielden did start here at San Francisco. He started creating the ballet on our company. And uh, two couples from Dutch National Ballet came to San Francisco, participated in rehearsals for about two weeks with us, and one of their ballet masters also came. Then, uh, that was in the summertime, and then in November, we sent two couples to Amsterdam to also participate for a few weeks, and that was closer to when it was gonna premiere and then Christopher finished the ballet, finished creating the ballet on Dutch National Ballet. We sent a ballet master there as well, who then needed to come here with another ballet master from Dutch National, who has since now joined San Francisco Ballet, Felipe Diaz, who used to also be a dancer here at San Francisco Ballet. Um, and the two of them taught the rest of the ballet to our company because Christopher was busy doing other projects. And then of course, Christopher came back here with his uh, associate, Jackie Barrett, to finish it and coach it before we put it on the stage. Um, the logistics of managing all, all of that, the back and forth, the travel, 
and then when the production's gonna get here, and then we brought people from Dutch National to help us put it on stage, um, because they knew the ins and outs. We sent our production director there for the premiere, along with our wardrobe master, so that they could see what all the ins and outs as the ballet was first being done in Amsterdam. That sounds like a scheduling nightmare. <laughs> it, it can be a bit of a challenge. As you were talking, it occurred to me, and you may not be able to answer this, but uh, you know, when, when, say, Dutch National has, has built a production and it's going to come to us, how long does it take for it to ship? Any idea? Oh, I want to say it takes about six weeks to come by boat from there, so you really have to plan. And that's the other thing about doing a co-production. You really have to coordinate which company is going to do the ballet when. And that's also spelled out in the co-production agreement. You have to stipulate like, okay, so this company just did the ballet, then the next company has priority, but they're supposed to give 12 months notice, hopefully, of when they want to do it next. So, but we really try and work with each other. You know, we're just trying to help each other out, right? So we really try and work with each other to coordinate so that we each get the most benefit from doing this production together. And obviously you work out things like with Cinderella, again, our, our chosen example here, we, we premiered it, but then we did it again the next year. So that's, it's, it doesn't have to be an alternating sort of thing from company to company. That's correct. So we told them up front, we know we want to premiere it here. We want to take it to New York. So we already had our dates at, at the Koch Theater at Lincoln Center. We knew we wanted to take Cinderella with us, and then we wanted to repeat it the following year. So they were very gracious in allowing us to keep it for a full, a little over a full year. I think I saw a few people coming in. I'm chatting with general manager Deborah Bernard. So, um, you know, one thing you're very involved with is touring and talk about complex. So what are, what are some of the logistics involved with touring? What sorts of things do you have to think about that maybe we wouldn't even, it wouldn't dawn on us? Well, the good fortune of having an excellent company manager working with you is they handle all the nitty gritty logistical details, all of the things that um, I don't have to do anymore, but I used to have to do at New York City Ballet. So we have a really good company manager here at San Francisco Ballet, Lauren Chadwick. Um, I'm responsible for the with a longer range and the, the contract with the presenter or the producers. Um, Lauren then takes over and she starts working on all of the detail of uh, who's, who's in the tour party, all the flights, all the hotel arrangements, uh, for instance, we just spent three weeks in Paris last summer. All of the, uh, did we need visas? Did we need work permits? Um, who's going to arrive when? And there's different people sometimes coming in and out depending. Christopher Wielding came and joined us for a while. We were doing his ballets. Liam Scarlett came over from London. And the company manager handles all of that. All of the rights, you have to make sure you clear all of the rights, of course, wherever you're going. And it's more challenging when you go overseas. We, when we were in Paris, we had to work very closely with them on the budget. And uh, we had to really work together to manage our costs, both for the orchestra, the local orchestra that was hired, and the stage crew, and the production schedule. They wanted us, 
They asked Hoagie to put together programming, true rotating repertory, and I, you may not be aware, but we did 18 ballets in different rotating repertory plus a gala in 18 performances in three weeks. I think it was a total of 24 if you count the gala. It's more than we typically do here in a season, so it's pretty amazing. So in, in your various roles in the ballet and opera worlds, you've been involved with the artistic uh, department, technical production, company management. How do those elements overlap here specifically at San Francisco Ballet? They each have given me, it, they've helped me all in, in what I do now. So since I need, I'm responsible for the budgets of music, artistic, production, um, our facility. So they help me in knowing, you know, asking each of those managers where we are on finances, but also understanding how it all works and how it all comes together, um, what it might take day to day to produce what we do. Does that answer your question? Are, are you the person who's sort of the central communication hub for, for all of that? Or is there a central communication hub? I don't, well, yes and no. I mean, there, there is some, but there, there definitely, you know, it's, there's so many different levels in all of those things that you definitely have different levels of managers doing all of the things that need to happen to make it happen. Okay, so, you know, you've spent most of your career, obviously, in the arts, but you, you did do a few things outside of the arts. Did you learn anything in those other arenas that have really served you well uh, in your roles here? Anything at all come to mind? Well, I think whenever you go somewhere and your, your, your diplomacy is called upon, um, your people skills, so always working in a foreign country, um, just the, the different sensitivities you have to have to different cultures and different peoples uh, serves you well in any job um, and I have found that to be the case. Um, I, when I worked, you know, in food and wine a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit, um, there's just all of that, there's just all seems to work together well with the arts, so it just all seems to complement each other. So next season, um we have three full-length ballets and two world premieres and some things that are brand new to the company. What are, what are you excited about? And I know your mind now goes blank, right? <laughs> it does. Well, I'm going to be very excited to see what Liam Scarlett does next. I thought Hummingbird, the work he created for us last year, was really a wonderful ballet, very different. So I'm looking forward to seeing if he's going to do something entirely different or similar. Uh, we don't even know what music he's chosen yet. I'm also very excited to be working with Justin Peck. So I knew Justin when I was at New York City Ballet. He was pretty young and in the court of ballet. So he's obviously really grown in the seven years that I've been gone. And um, it's going to be a really exciting experience for me to work with him in a different capacity. But it's also going to be wonderful to have Bill Forsyth back here and working with the dancers and working with this organization. Um, it's been a good number of years since Bill has been here. And I love Alexei Ratmansky's work. 
So I first was introduced to Alexi when I was at New York City Ballet. And I, again, it's just really wonderful to watch an artist like that work. And, and his ballets are all very, very different. Well, now is your turn. We have a little bit of time for questions from you. So if you do have a question, please raise your hand and speak up. And um, we do ask you to try to keep them on the briefer side. So, anyone? Okay. The question is, can she speak about the tour to China? So we will be returning to China in October of this year, 2015. We will be going to Beijing and to Shanghai. This, we were in China in 2009 for the very first time. This time we get to go to different theaters, so we're very excited about that. In Beijing, we will be at the National Center for the Performing Arts, uh, otherwise known as the Egg, and that's at the uh, National Theater there in Beijing. We will be doing uh, some mixed repertory performances as well as Giselle. And then we will travel to Shanghai, where we will perf be performing at a new theater called the Shanghai Culture Square, and we'll be doing three performances there. So it will be another opportunity for us. Um, it's, it is a very different experience to work there, and it can be very challenging but very rewarding. Yes. What's the process if you're interested in staging another company's production, you know, that, that we didn't co-produce with them, and they still own the rights to it? The question is how we handle uh, producing something that we don't own the rights to that's been uh, created at a different company. So, for instance, if we wanted a full-length ballet of John Nomeyer's, like when we got The Little Mermaid, for example? Okay. So, the first step is always, of course, Helge being interested in doing the work and making that invitation, or extending that inv invitation. Once that is done and we figure out the schedule with that choreographer, then I start working with my counterpart at that organization to negotiate uh, the rights for the choreography and the design rights. Um, our production director, Christopher Dennis, starts working with their team to understand what the production, how big is it? What will it entail? How complicated will it be? He might even travel to go see it wherever it is so we have a real understanding of what it's going to entail to bring to this stage here and what adaptation we might have to make. We also, our music department, our music librarian clears all of our music rights. So he will start working with the music publisher for uh, whomever has composed the music. So for The Little Mermaid, it's a living composer, Lara Auerbach. And though her publisher is in Europe, then there is a, um, a counterpart organization here in the United States. So we start working with the one here in the US to clear the music rights. and then. And then the schedule is such that we bring um, whomever John Nomeyer designated, his repetitors, his ballet masters, and John himself then came out and taught the ballet. So all of those things. And then we do a contract. We did a contract to rent the production from um, Hamburg Ballet. And 
do we rent the costumes and props and sets? Usually that would be the thing that, the way we would go, yes, because to build them, unless we know we really want to do it for years and years and years, to build them could be very expensive. So it usually makes more sense for us to rent them from the other company. Anyone else? How would you characterize the future of the ballet world, its opportunities and challenges? That's a good and tough question. Um, these are challenging times, for, I think, for any nonprofit arts organization, not just ballet, but any nonprofit arts organization. Ever since the recession, you know, we're all challenged financially. But I think we need to keep taking risks and we need to keep doing our best to grow artistically, but to also reach younger audiences, other audiences, trying to attract new audiences into the theater um, to see us live. Um, perhaps it's going to be new media opportunities, whether that's you know our traditional media or whether it's through social media. Um, I think we're trying to find every single way that we can also to encourage arts education so that you know that um, you really encourage that in the schools so that they grow up becoming more familiar. I mean, ballet isn't the most recognizable art form for every single person, right? So if they get familiar with dance or get exposure to it at a young age, then we have a greater opportunity to introduce them to it as an audience member or perhaps as a dancer, or just for their own enjoyment. Um, I still very much see that as part of our mission. Did I answer your question? And to that end, which we can't talk about it yet, but there are some new partnerships um, going on with the school and organizations in San Francisco, in the greater Bay Area, which will also help to build those audiences, we hope. One more quick question. Is it quick? <laughs> Have you thought about doing simulcasts like the Met does with operas? It has occurred to us. I'm not sure we could, we've figured out how to do it yet. Uh, it would be a big undertaking. Uh, we have talked about, look, I mean, look at what the opera does, you know, when they have opera in the ballpark. What a wonderful idea. Um, so we haven't fully explored an idea like that yet, but certainly we'd be excited about it. They're about to yell half hour backstage, so we're going to have to wrap it up here. I'd like to thank all of you for coming tonight, and please a round of applause for Deborah Bernard. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks again, and enjoy the performance.